Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. Let me just pray for us before I start. Yes, Lord, thank you that we can be here tonight, Lord. Thank you, Father, as we reflect, Lord, and pass over, Father, and what you've done for us, Lord, that all the elements, Lord, would stand out for us, Lord. And we know, Lord, when it comes to your word, Lord, we can't pick and choose, Lord, the, the things that sound great and sound lovely, Lord, and look nice without neglecting, Lord, the, the things for the, the weightier matter, the things that we don't like to deal with, Lord, the things that we don't like to be confronted with. And tonight, Father, we say, Lord, come and have your way. And may we be confronted, Lord, with everything you want to confront us with, Lord. May we experience through that, Lord, grace, forgiveness, salvation. Knowing that a loving Father, Lord, is producing life and life in abundance. As we yield to you tonight, Lord. We come and say thank you, Father, for your goodness. Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice on the cross. Thank you for opening up, Lord, like Hebrews says, the, the new and living way. And may none of us, Lord, stand and look tonight. May all of us enter. May all of us walk, Lord, closer, draw near, hold fast, and consider how to stir one another to love and good works. In Jesus' name, amen. So our title for tonight is Passover, Judgment, Grace, Salvation, and Faith. Passover, Judgment, Grace, salvation and faith and well there's a lot of technical things that we can get stuck at while we go through the story of passover like many of you might have experienced as you read through it this last couple of weeks uh, again and again and if you are someone that likes the technicalities and some of you maybe are a bit confused while working through the story to just figure out you know what event comes where and what means what you're welcome to come and speak to me afterwards but we're going to going to focus too much on the technicalities of it but one thing that I want to share with us that I think might ease some of the confusion as we read through the passage is how a Jewish day works so a Jewish day starts at sunset a bit bit different than we do it our day starts 12 o'clock at night till 12 o'clock the following night the Jewish day starts at sunset and it ends the following day at sunset between 6 and 7 so maybe that's why you read through the passage and you see Jesus eating the Last Supper with his disciples on Passover. And the next day he gets crucified on Passover and you're wondering which day is which now. It's the same day. Because it was the evening when the sunset happened and before the next sunset happened, Jesus was crucified. So maybe that will ease some of the confusion as you read through this story. But today I want to look at a, uh, a couple of main ideas when we look at Passover and what it means and, and the things that we should see. And a question that I want to ask us as we are sitting here tonight is what comes to mind when you think about Passover? What comes to mind? And obviously the crucifixion of Christ and what Jesus did for us on the cross, but with that, what do you associate with that? What comes to mind? Passeiersie, Mark. Shucks, deliverance needed. Mark, come speak to me afterwards, please. Um, and I'll have to phone your parents as well, but it's not your fault. 
making a joke. But what comes to mind? You see, many times we think about grace and salvation. We think about the love of God, for God so loved the world that this is what Jesus did for us. And many times the message proclaimed focuses a lot on grace, and rightly so, and a lot on salvation, and rightly so, and a lot about the love of God, and rightly so. But it's also important for us as we read through the story to understand the judgment of God in light of sin. And also the faith of man that needs to be added to receive salvation. By grace you have been saved through faith. By grace you have been saved through faith. Faith needs to be added to what Jesus has done. And it's very important for us. Why? Because many times as we go through the story and we only focus on grace, salvation, and love, we miss the point and we kind of read through it without being affected by it. Why? Because if we don't understand the weight of sin in light of the judgment of God, we don't understand grace and salvation as we should. And because we don't understand it as we should, we don't respond in faith as we should. And many times a message preached to tickle ears, a salvation so shallow that it doesn't affect lives. I mean, how can we see what Jesus did for us on the cross and not be affected by it? How can we remain unchanged? And in light of that, it's important for us to be affected by every aspect of what God wants to show us through the story of Passover. And I want to focus on that judgment of God in light of the sinfulness of man. We need to understand the weight of sin but also the grace, salvation of God, and also the faith of man that needs to be added to that. We read in Hebrews 10 verse 1, it's not on the board, and it, say, it says that the law and the former things, the, the festivals and everything that was instituted in the Old Testament was a shadow of the substance that were to come in Jesus Christ, showing to the reality that's going to take place, showing for something that Jesus is going to come and do. When we read the Old Testament, we understand why Jesus had to do and say what he did and say. When we read the rest of the New Testament, we see how the early church applied it. But it's important for us to go back to where Passover was instituted to see why Jesus came and did what he did. What is it that God wants to show us? A shadow of the substance to come. When Christ came the first time, but also when he's coming the second time. What is it that God wants to show us? So let's read together through Exodus 12, verse 1 to 13. It says, this is just after the first nine plagues and the ten plagues in Egypt, just before the last one came. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to his father's house, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then you and your nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons. According to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. And you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintels of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roast it, 
its heads with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning shall, you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belts fast at your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beasts. And on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt." And the rest of Exodus 12 is Moses reciting the same thing to the Israelites, explaining to them what God has told them to do. And he also says to them that this you will keep throughout the generations and you will teach it to your children. And you will not go out at night, but you will remain in your house. And it's easy for us to read through this passage, something that we're quite familiar with. And as we read through it, we don't see and realize the judgment of God and the weight of sin. Not only in the Egyptians, but also in the Israelites. It's easy for us to read through the story and to envision this two parts of people, you know, the sinful, bad Egyptians that are busy oppressing the Israelites, and then there are the good Israelites that has done no wrong, that are busy being oppressed by Egypt. And that is not what the story is telling us. And when we read just below the surface, we see that the severity of sin rests on both the Egyptians and on the Israelites. And the judgment of God rests upon both the Egyptians and the Israelites. And to a certain extent, grace was given to both the Egyptians and the Israelites. We read here in verse 12 and verse 22b, that focuses on the weight of sin and the judgment of God. And it says, For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. And for those of you who think that's a strange statement, you can go and listen to our spiritual series that we did end of last year. God is not saying you will execute judgment on made-up ideas or little images that hold no value. When you read the word gods in the Old Testament, it speaks about Elohim, spiritual beings, heavenly beings, hostile beings towards God that is busy leading the nations astray. Not pantheism like Eastern religions, you know, like there's many, you know, divine gods that's ruling over creation together. Not in that sense. Yahweh is the only true God of the universe, but there's hostile spiritual beings ruling over the nations. That is why when Moses and Aaron did some of the plagues, the magici magicians of Egypt could actually do the same. And the people around us don't just have wrong ideas, but there's hostile entities behind those wrong ideas. And if you want to know more about that, you can just go and listen to that spiritual series. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning. Moses sang that to the Israelites. And in this, like Hebrews 10 verse 1 says, a shadow of the things to come, a shadow of the substance to come. So here we see a shadow of judgment. And the reason I say that there was even grace extended on the Israelites is because, on the Egyptians is because only the firstborns died that night while everybody deserved to die. Everybody deserved to die. And it's a shadow of the judgment to come because there will come a day when not only the firstborns will die, but everybody that is not covered by the blood of the Lamb 
will die. Everybody that's not covered by the blood of the Lamb will face the judgment and wrath of Almighty God. So even in that, God was gracious towards the Egyptians. And it's also just a shadow of deliverance because while God is delivering the Israelites from Egypt, they still needed the blood of the Lamb to cover them, meaning that there's a, de a deeper deliverance needed. There's a deeper deliverance needed. The weight of sin rests on the Egyptians and in the Israelites. The judgment of God rests on both the Egyptians and on the Israelites. And you can think to yourself, as the passage explains Moses to the Israelites, you must teach this to your children. And when they ask, why do you do this? You can explain to them. And for those of you who have kids, you can just imagine God knowing that they're going to ask some questions. While they're seeing what is taking place. Why are you doing this? Why are we doing this that way? Because that night nobody was allowed to play outside. Are you with me? And you can imagine as the heads of the families goes and picks out their lambs and goes back to their family and explaining to them what is about to happen. How easily in the heads of the Israelites they could have thought to themselves, yes, eventually God is going to release us from the sinful, oppressing Egyptians. And we are going to be set free. And then God starts to speak about this lamb that was brought. And the father says, this is the lamb that God has provided that we must slay so that we can put the blood on the doorposts. And you can imagine how the little children ask, or some of the people of the household ask, but why do we need a lamb? Why should we stay inside when God passes over? It says, because if we are not covered by the sacrifice that God provides, we too will die. It's not just the sinful Egyptians. But as Israelites, we can also not stand before holy God. We do not make it. We have sinned and we fall short of the glory of God. We do deserve judgment. We do deserve death. And again now, you can just imagine a little child thinking to himself, Man, I did some horrible things to my brother or my sister just earlier that day. Lied to my mom or my dad. I took the cookies that they told I shouldn't eat right now. And as the kid thinks to himself, okay, dad, but if we also deserve judgment, what are we going to do? And God says, don't worry, God in his grace has made a temporal solution for us. And we read about the solution in verse 6 and 7. And you shall keep it, this lamb, until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts, and the lintels of the houses in which they eat it. And again, here we see the seriousness and the weight of sin and also the grace of God. Because as God provides the substitution, it also displays the sinfulness of man. And again, you can imagine to yourself, as I go and fetch this little lamb and bring it home, for four days we should examine it to see if it's without fault, without defect. And as it's there, you know, the children start to play with it, maybe gives it a name. And they see the innocence of this lamb. And four days later, everybody gathers together and the family is there as dad slits the lamb's throat and the lamb screams and the blood flows out. And the children ask, but dad, why are you doing this? What is going on? You see, this is the effect of sin, my son. This is what sin does. The wages of sin is death. And God has graciously provided us with a lamb, but that should have been me. And that should have been you. This is the effect of sin. In light of the grace 
of God that makes a solution. And you see, my son, we are going to take the blood of this lamb and we're going to paint it on the doorpost. So when the angel of death comes over, he won't come inside. And again, you can imagine the little boy asking, Dad, but doesn't it matter who's inside the house? And the answer is no. The only thing that matters is the blood of the innocent lamb on the doorpost. That is the grace of God being displayed in light of the seriousness and weight of sin on a people that should also experience judgment. And again, as they paint the blood on the doorpost, now you can imagine the children asking again. But that, does that mean that we, we should just do nothing? Does it mean that we can do whatever we want in the house? And again, the answer is no. It doesn't mean that we do nothing. It doesn't mean that we can do what we want now in the house. But what needs to happen is faith. What does faith look like? It looks like obedience. You see, while they were called to paint the blood on the doorpost, there were specific instructions given to the Israelites to show that they had faith in God through their obedience. There was a type of lamb that they should have selected. There was a way to slaughter the lamb, a way to eat the lamb, a way to prepare the lamb, and none of the bones should be broken. And only those who followed the instructions, who obeyed through faith, was passed over that night. You see, even in the way that they should eat it, we read here in verse 11, In this manner shall you eat it, with your belts fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. That is how faith looks like. It is people that actually obeyed the word of God and stood ready for the deliverance that was about to come. It wasn't people that just simply heard what God said and thought to themselves, Ah, oh, he will in any case pass over. We're not specifically going to do what he says. Because he's a God of love, he will just pass over. No, they actually did what God said. That is faith that flows out in obedience. And every Israelite that didn't listen that night was not passed over. But they suffered the consequence of their disobedience, of their lack of faith. You see, just because the blood is on the outside of the house doesn't mean that you can do what you want to on the inside. When the blood is on the outside, obedience is required on the inside as well. It's not just coming to church and looking a certain way on a Sunday, but it's allowing what God did to transform our inner being and shape our whole lives. It's not just a moment that we reflect on once a year, but it's something that changes all of our life. As we allow God to come and do a work on the inside as well. As we stand ready, as we prepare ourselves, as we say that Egypt, this place is not our home, but we are going to a better place. Like Jan Lowe said, even as Abraham looked forward to a city whose builder is God, the new heavens and the new earth that we are going to go to one day. And that same thing was repeated throughout generations for about 1,300 years. Yes, with Israel often forgetting to teach it to their children or to keep the feasts of the Lord. But for 1,300 years it continued until one day something happened and all of a sudden it's a little bit different. And we read in Matthew 26, it's not on the boards but you can go and read that. Matthew 26 verse 26 and 27. And it's Jesus eating the Passover meal with his disciples. And the unleavened bread is there and the wine is there but one thing is missing. 
the Gospel of Matthew, Mark, and Luke that mentions this last meal with the disciples. The unleavened bread is there. The wine is there, but there is no lamb that is mentioned. Why? There was no lamb on the table because the lamb of God was at the table. And the disciples didn't understand it. And they thought that maybe the next day with the rest of Israel, Jesus was going to go get the lamb and they were going to slaughter it together. Not knowing that he would become the Passover lamb. And at that moment, Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper. That's why we don't do Passover anymore, but the Lord's Supper, communion. And all of a sudden, when Jesus takes the bread, he doesn't refer back to Exodus 12 and says, this is the bread of your suffering. No, he breaks it and says, this is my body. This is my body, and I'm about to suffer for you. And he takes the cup and he passes it around and he says, this is my blood that I will shed for you. This is not a suffering that you went through because you didn't want to go through it, but it was the only way. No, this is voluntary. I laying down my life for you. This is my body. And he breaks the bread and he gives it. An invitation. See, God is the one that sets the table. God is the one that invites us to commune with him. We read in 1 Corinthians 5 verse 7, it says, Cleanse the unleavened bread from you. Take the evil things out of you. Why? Because Christ, our Passover lamb, has already been sacrificed. That's why. And that night, the lamb of God gets taken into custody and he gets examined and he's found to be without fault. A lamb without blemish. And again in that story, we see the same thing except one element is missing. We see the sinfulness of man and the love of God as we read in Mark 15 verse 12. And Pilate again said to them, after saying he found no fault in him, then what shall I do with the man that you call king of the Jews? And they cried out, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, why, what evil has he done? And they shouted all the more, crucify him. And again, the sinfulness of man displayed. Now we see the deeper deliverance that is needed. Now we see why Israel also needed a lamb. Because of the sinfulness of man. And many times when we read through the story, we think to ourselves, no, we wouldn't have been part of the crowd. But the Bible says, at best, we would have been one of the disciples that ran away. But most likely, we would have been part of the crowd shouting, crucify him. <coughs> we would have been part of the crowd shouting, crucify him. And they take Jesus put a crown of thorns on his head and they beat him with a reed and they mock him bowing down in homage saying hail king of the Jews as they spit upon him and they mock the king of kings and as Jesus Christ is crucified and the love of God displayed the soldiers guarding the cross is gambling for his clothes at the feet of the cross and on display for all to see is the weight of sin the evil of man in light of the grace and the forgiveness of God and what is the response of the king of kings what is the response of the innocent blameless lamb of God we read in Luke 23 34 and Jesus said father forgive them for they know not what they do 
And in Colossians 1 verse 13 to 14 we read, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And we see the weight of sin. We see the forgiveness and the love of God, but what is missing? The judgment of God. All of a the sudden there's only one firstborn that died that day. And the judgment of God fell upon Christ and not upon man. And we also don't see the response of man. There's no faith added. There's no one following. All the disciples ran away. And what does that mean? Does it mean that judgment fell away? Does it mean that faith is no longer required? Because Exodus 12 showed us the shadow, pointing to the substance. And the judgment fell on Christ that day, but it doesn't mean that judgment fell away completely. And although faith wasn't added that day, faith is expected to all that reflect upon this moment. You see, we read in John 3.36 the following. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. You see, many people posted today and shared that verse in Matthew 26, do not be afraid, he's risen, he's not here. And many people focus on the one thing that that implies. Romans 4.25 said, for our justification, God raised him from the dead. To secure our eternal salvation, yes. That is why Christ was risen from the dead. But there's another thing that God secured and that he assured from raising Jesus from the dead. And we read in Acts 17, verse 30 to 31. And it's Paul speaking and he says that the time of ignorance God has overlooked, but now he demands that all people everywhere repent because he has fixed a day that he will judge this world in righteousness through a man. And by that he's giving assurance by raising him from the dead. You see, while raising Jesus from the dead, while not being afraid for those who believe in him, for he is risen, he is not here. For those who do not obey and do not believe, they should be very afraid that he was risen from the grave. Because that gives assurance of judgment that will come. And again, both of these elements need to be seen here. The weight of sin in light of the grace, the forgiveness of God. The response of faith that is needed to follow in obedience. Otherwise judgment is certain. We read in Hebrews 9 verse 27 and 28 and it says, Just as it was appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment. So Christ also offered a sacrifice for sin once and he's coming back a second time not to deal with sin but to deliver and to save those who are eagerly waiting for him same with the passover for those who are sitting in their homes loins girded shoes on their feet staff in hand ready to move when god says move ready to obey when the voice of god comes that is what faith does it prepares for action when god says move i will move like jesus Explaining the parable of the wise man and the foolish builder. Wise man that builds his house on the rock is the one who comes to me, hears my words and does them. Faith in obedience. 
And in Hebrews 10, we read about the sacrificial work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And then it asks of us three things to do. Obedience that God expects. That sums up the Christian life. And in verse 10, uh, chapter 10, verse 22, it says, Let us then, based upon what Jesus has done, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Jesus has opened the door. He's made the way. Now let us start to walk. And I have to ask us as we are sitting here tonight, are you drawing near with a true heart and full assurance of faith? Are you actively seeking God? Are you pursuing Him with a true heart and full assurance of faith? Are you drawing near day after day? Because how can we look upon the salvation of Christ, the grace and the love of God in that cross, and not draw near to the one who gave His life? And then verse 23, let us hold fast to the confession of our faith without hope, without wavering, because he who promised is faithful. What does that mean? That we are eagerly waiting and expecting the return of Christ, because he said he will not leave us here, but he is coming back. And again, I have to ask us, when you examine your life on earth, are you living a life that's making yourself comfortable in Egypt, or are you ready, waiting, with things gathered to move when God says move? Are you living a life that's okay with being stuck in the land of slavery while God has offered deliverance? When you examine your life, does it look like you want to stay here and make yourself as comfortable as possible? Or are you eagerly expecting the second coming of Christ to move when God says move? And then in verse 24, let us then consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as we see the day drawing near. Are you gathering together with the saints? Are you encouraging to love and good works all the more as we see the day drawing near? Because verse 26 says, because if we deliberately continue on sinning while we have received knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin, only a fearful expectation of judgment. Because those who set aside the law of Moses died without mercy, how much more will those who trample underfoot the Son of God and profane the blood of the covenant? Are we obeying? Are we adding the blood of Christ to our lives? You see, because what we should see in the stories, yes, the sinfulness of man, the weight of sin, in light of the judgment of God. But to know that God has made a way. The severity of sin affects every area of our lives. And a righteous God will judge sin. But God, being loving and kind, has made a way through Jesus Christ. But we should apply that to every area of our life. Through faithful obedience. And we're going to distribute the elements of communion now. And I want us, as we take the communion, as individuals, as individuals, to hear that invitation of Jesus saying, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood poured out for you. If you as a family, you can also do it together as a family. But this is given for you. And it's Jesus Christ inviting. And I want us to ask the question, have I applied the blood of Christ in every area of my life? Have I applied 
the blood of Christ in every area of my life. Because God has made a way through grace. But we should now apply through faith. And I promise us this, that if we ask with a sincere heart, Lord, show me the areas of my life that I have not opened up. Show me the areas of my life that I have not applied. He will show you and he will show you quick. And while there is still breath in your lungs, it's not too late to apply the finished work of Christ on the cross. And also if you are here tonight and there's nobody leading you in the taking of communion. If you have that piece of bread in your hand and you have that cup in your hand but you don't know what to say. It shows to a deeper reality. That as an individual, as someone that should add faith, you have not learned yet to apply the work of Christ to your life. And just there where you sit tonight. Say, Lord, I'm starting today. And I don't know what to say. I don't know where to begin. But what I do ask is, Lord, lead me. And I understand that your body was broken for me. And I understand that your blood flowed for me. Teach me, Lord, how to apply it to my life. Just there where you sit. In your own words, on your own time. Eat the piece of bread and thank God for his body that was broken. Drink the juice and thank God for his blood that flowed. And invite him into every area of your life that you have not yet surrendered.